Welcome to the Everyday Ministry Podcast. We're a podcast where everyday ministers get together to discuss ministry. This is James White, and I am sitting here with Daniel Brown and Jamie Owens. Daniel, how are you doing this evening? Man, I'm doing good. <laughs> I've been playing dad all day today, hanging out with hanging out with my daughter and uh, just getting some stuff ready for the weekend for worship this Sunday. But uh and besides that, just continuing to move right along in, in into the new year, 2019, with our with our church and our youth group. We've got a lot of new things going on in the life of our church that we're super excited about, and so I'm I'm really pumped about that. And uh, continuing to do the school bus thing, driving driving a school bus part time uh, on the side. So that's that's been working out real good for me too. Uh, how about you, Jamie? I'm doing good. Um, you know, everything's pretty, pretty uh, normal around my life right now. Well, except for uh, increased workload since uh, I'm having multiple opportunities to preach. And actually, last time we were on, I think I told y'all that I would be preaching at a church near Eufaula, and that's passed. And we, uh, it was a great opportunity, great church, wonderful people. A, uh, a really beautiful church. It's a church that was built in like 1875, and everything's like original in there, except for like reupholstered uh, pews. But the pews themselves were actually original. But anyway, uh, so that went really good. Uh, I have a few more opportunities to step in the pulpit again uh, in a in a few more weeks. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, our family's doing good. Everything's going well. Kind of a busy time, but you know, I feel like that's pretty standard for life with two kids, anyway. So everything's going well with me. How about you, James? Well, uh, everything's going good. Gonna have a small procedure done the day after we record this episode, but a few days before it releases, and um, that's one of the opportunities Jamie's gonna have to preach. He's gonna preach at Lighthouse, and oh, I will most likely not be there. I'm looking forward to catching the live stream on Facebook, and looking forward to that. A few weekends ago, I had the joy of going up, up and over, I guess, to see Daniel and Allie and Kalira, and had a great time spending with their family, and then spending time in worship with their church family, and got to hear the Daniel Brown lead worship, <laughs> and first time uh, I've heard him do that in that that capacity. With I guess there was what. Um, about four or five, about four musicians and probably four people singing, mm-hmm. and they did a fantastic job. Really enjoyed it. He did a great job, especially for a youth pastor. You know, you know, he, he <laughs> youth pastor, and uh, they just throw him in places whenever they need him. You know how that is. Uh, no, he did. Daniel did a fantastic job leading worship. We'll have to maybe catch a, a recording of him leading a song and throw it on the podcast <laughs> one day. Uh, Careful. But it had to be one that we have the copyrights to because we don't want to get sued by somebody or anything like that. But, man, everything's going good on my end. Not really looking forward to school starting. Daniel could probably agree with me on that one. Um, I can't. I can't agree with you this semester because I have decided to take the semester off. Oh. oh. So. <laughs> well, he can <laughs> agree with he can agree with me to so much to the point that he said, I regret it so much I'm not going to take class. <laughs> um, no, I just decided, you know, with with the baby coming and 
so many other things that I'm that are transitioning in our life right now. I just decided to take this semester off and I'm probably going to wind up doubling up next semester. So um, that'll be fun, but I've already actually got it. You're going to make it all up. Yeah, I am. So, Oh yeah, I will. I've actually got a little uh, reading list um, of books that I'm going to be reading throughout this semester since I'm not taking any classes. I'm going to take full advantage of that and um, spend more time than usual uh reading some different things uh, that i've had on the list for a while now it's pretty cool i probably i probably would do the same thing you're doing you know as we're only about a four weeks away from the baby being here but with my scholarship if i don't take a class then yeah. i lose a scholarship at the end even on top of that if i don't take the second greek this semester i'll have to wait a whole another two years for it to come back around and that's no not way. happening because i'm going to no graduate way. before the end and so I'm going to have to take classes this semester, but I am only going to do four hours. So it's not going to be too bad, except for the fact that that three hour class is Greek too. So uh, we'll see how that goes with the baby, but I'm sure it'll be perfectly fine. But yeah, um, yeah. I think um, as we transition into the episode topic of this week, we're going to be looking at the Baptist faith and message again. And what we're going to be looking at tonight is the Baptist faith and message article, article on salvation and now, if you read the Baptist Faith and Message on this whole entire article, and we're not going to read it all in one sitting because it is so long, but what we want to do is break it up in about six different sections. And really, I'm not sure how we're going to cover all of this in a 40-minute podcast, but we're going to do our best. And so we may only hit the high points of the, the article itself, but I want to encourage the listeners, before we even jump into it, to pull it out, read over it with us as you listen to this episode, and dig into it. They offer scriptural proofs at the bottom of each article. I would encourage you to look through those as you look through this article. It's a fantastic, just simple article and what we believe is Baptist on salvation. So as we get started into that, does um, one of you guys want to read the opening statement? Go for it, Jamie. I'll let you take that, man. All right. I'll go ahead and read the first paragraph, and we'll come back to the uh, subparagraphs. Does that sound good, Daniel? Yep, sounds good, man. All right, this is Article 4 on salvation. Salvation involves the redemption of the whole man and is offered freely to all who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who by his own blood obtained eternal redemption for the believer. In its broadest sense, salvation includes regeneration, justification, sanctification, and glorification. There is no salvation apart from personal faith, in Jesus Christ as Lord. Now we're going to come back in a minute and look at these different aspects of salvation, which in the next to last paragraph is regeneration, justification, sanctification, and glorification. And obviously those are pretty big words, but if you were going to kind of narrow that down, kind of, uh, kind of uh, summarize it a little more succinctly, what would you say, Daniel? is salvation well you know honestly this is definitely one of those things that with it being such a broad um a broad belief lots of people believe that salvation comes in different ways of course you know we believe uh, according to john fourteen six here that uh jesus christ is the only way uh, to salvation that it is through faith in him in the works that he accomplished on the cross um salvation is uh, it is literally the uh, how, what's the best way to put it the rescuing of our soul 
from the destination that we are headed, which we call hell, um, because of the works that we've done in this world, uh, the works of sin, the works of evil that we've done in this world. Um, so the best way that I would know how to put it is like, you know, and, and I, a lot of times in the Christian faith, we've got lots of big words. Um, but salvation is a pretty cut and dry word. You know, when you, when you hear that word and it, it, it definitely has a churchy sound to it. Um, but when you hear that word, there's not really a whole lot left, um, to be wondered about when you think about the term salvation, it obviously means saving. The only question at that point that anybody would have, if they weren't already in the, the church would be saved from what Save me from what? Um, and I think that, we see very clearly here, according to this article, uh, that it is salvation from our sins, salvation from really and truly from ourselves, because the only thing we can do is sin. Uh, so I hope that makes sense. I think what I, I find interesting is, you know, kind of looking over different other other religions, world religions, is that we see most religions have some idea of, of a salvation. Now, obviously, they differ in what we're saved from or what we're saved to, but there is a commonality amongst different religions and different faiths of salvation. Now, obviously, we as Christians believe and are convinced that salvation in Christ is the true salvation, is the only salvation, and that's our that's what we have to uh, be distinct about is that this is the only true way to salvation, but I think there is a very interesting commonality amongst numerous faiths of this idea. And I think that points to the human heart's understanding of a need for a salvation. Yeah, it definitely does. And, you know, I think that, you know, when I think about salvation for myself and I think back to when I received salvation, I was only seven. I was a kid. So I did not fully understand what it was that I needed saving from because as a seven year old kid who has, who had grown up in church and who lived in, you know, suburban Alabama, I didn't understand what sin really was. I had not been exposed to a whole lot. Both of my parents were in church, but what I did understand is that Jesus paid a major price for that salvation. And so whether I understood it as a child or not, or even if I understand it fully as an adult, I've got to look at the price that he paid and see that that obviously I needed to be saved from something and that whatever it was I needed to be saved from, it's a pretty major deal if he was willing to not only give his life, but give it in the manner that he did too. Yeah. All right, so we understand that salvation is is literally saving from our sins, being saved from our sins. But we also see in this statement that there are multiple aspects of salvation. It's not just the point of salvation. There is a lifetime of this salvation process. And uh, it kind of breaks it down in here as regeneration, justification, sanctification, and glorification. And obviously, those are words that most people wouldn't commonly understand so we're going to kind of look over those. And the first one they list here is regeneration. If anybody wants to pick that up and read that to give us an idea of what regeneration is. Yeah, I'll read it. It says regeneration or the new birth is a work of God's grace whereby believers become new creatures in Christ Jesus. It is a change of their heart wrought 
by the Holy Spirit through convictions of sins, to which the sinner responds in repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith are irreparable experiences of grace. And it says, Repentance is a genuine turning from sin toward God. Faith is an acceptance of Jesus Christ and a commitment of the entire personality to Him as Lord and Savior. Let's begin by looking at the idea of regeneration. It, you know, I think it's important that we note that it says right after the word regeneration, or known as the new birth, and this is really the process of the, the new birth, the new the newness of the individual after the in coming to know Christ and salvation. And I think I think the Baptist faith message rightly says it is a work of God's grace where the believer becomes new creatures in Christ. I think that's that it's important that we realize that each of these areas of the salvation experience that one undergoes is a work of God in their life. Um, and the regeneration is this idea that God is transforming or renewing the individual's heart so that they can respond in grace by repenting and believing in Christ. Um, you know, it really comes back to this idea of man's depravity and man's sinfulness, and that if man was set for their own discord, if they were to live in their own ability to save themselves, or even their own ability to respond to Christ in faith, they would not respond because they are sinful by nature. And so it takes a work of God to regenerate, to 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 open up their heart, to soften the heart of man so they can respond to grace. And by repenting of their sins, I'll give a big fat hearty amen. And I think something that we we really need to look at and consider is the last sentence in this uh, in this first part of um, of part A. It says that repentance and faith are inseparable experiences of grace. And I think that is important because many people like to separate faith and repentance. Uh, you know, many people will say that we're saved by faith alone, and of course we are. That I don't think anybody on here is going to argue that. But there is a a result of our faith is our repentance, is our turning away from our sin, is seeking to do what God desires, seeking to be in a relationship, seeking seeking God. So the, these are inseparable results of the regeneration is that we will have faith and we will repent. And there are some people that will say that, well, you can have faith and then change nothing about your life and still be saved. And then there are so others that say you have to have faith and your repentance contributes to your salvation directly instead of it being, we're saved by faith alone and a result of that is repentance. So does anybody want to kind of expound on that and... And how those are related to each other, because I know that can be a very confusing idea for many people. Well, I think uh, when you look at this concept of regeneration, really what you have is some various views. Some people would believe that uh, regeneration comes after one believes in Christ and has faith and repents, that then they were regenerate. And then others would believe that regeneration happens prior believing in Christ that the only way that they are able to believe is the regeneration of the Holy Spirit through the work of Christ. And really it comes to the, and we, I know we try to, we don't talk about this a whole lot on the podcast for just really because it's a hot topic and we try not to be a doctrinal podcast, we're more of a practical one that addresses doctrinal things at times, is that it really, 
this is where the argument of really predestination and non-predestination comes from. And this is where the question comes into play at. Um, but I think it's just beautifully explained, um, really, when you look at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And this is this is the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Christ in the middle of the night. And, you know, Jesus tells him that one has to be born again to be saved. And he responds by saying, how can one go back into his mother's womb? And Christ is talking about a birth of the Holy Spirit. And then when you get to verse 8, it says this, well, verse 7 and 8 says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And then verse 8 says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is it with everyone who is born of the whole, of the Spirit. And so really this idea of the regeneration is the work of the Spirit on an individual's heart in which the, the Father calls them to salvation and it's where the holy spirit illuminates their heart so that they can respond to the gospel and i personally fall under the stance that regeneration happens before one can believe in faith but there is some that would say and argue that regeneration happens after faith in christ occurs question can it can it be simultaneous would it, it is well, most That's, people would say it's it's almost simultaneous yeah. it's a very close process I think it's hand in hand with one another, but I would say that my view of man's depravity would dictate and say that regeneration has to happen first, because if it was left up to myself to receive Christ, then I would not have, if that makes sense. No, I'm tracking what you're saying. Uh, I guess my biggest question there is just simply, you know, well, I guess part of my question is, the timing aspect mm -hmm. and and i, I want to be careful not to get bogged down in that because that's not the point of what we're trying to accomplish here but just thinking through it um I, I think i think for me the bottom line is that regeneration takes place as a result of the gospel as a result of the truth of the word being spoken into our lives and into our hearts and then in His divine sovereign will, the Holy Spirit does a work in our hearts, and He's the one who then changes us and draws us to the truth, mm -hmm. which gives us the ability to repent, gives us the ability to have that faith. Um, so, you know, sometimes I do think that we can get way bogged down in the timing, and I understand where your perspective is coming from there and why, you know, that is a necessary thing to, to, to think about and understand from a personal sense, but at the same time, I don't know that having an exact stance on mm -hmm. when it happens, like time-wise, is completely necessary. So I say that just to mainly encourage our listeners to not get super bogged down in, well, does it happen? Does this happen first or does that happen first? Bottom line is, as far as I'm concerned, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to oversimplify it. At least I hope I'm not. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of God. He does this work in us through the power of the gospel. He's the one who places faith in us. He's the one who draws us. He's the one who convicts us. And well, so, I think you would agree is that even with not necessarily breaking down the, the timeline of how this occurs, that if one is spirit is regenerated through the work of the Holy Spirit, they will believe and have faith in Christ. Yes, I would agree with that. But my question is, if they don't ever make that confession of faith, were they ever regenerate? 
like you're saying that the, the regeneration aspect happens beforehand, but I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm going to a dead end there. Well, I think that if you have regeneration, you're going to have faith and repentance. <clears throat> I would agree. I would say that, um, which is, which proves my point. Yeah. The timing aspect. Yeah, if you're gonna have regeneration, then you will profess faith and you will repent. Well, with the where the timing issue really comes into play, um, and like I said, we're trying not to get too deep into all of this, but um, it's really <laughs> yeah, <here we> go. <laughs> really the the principle of man having free will to choose salvation or not, and um, that's where most people have an issue with saying that regeneration happens before one believes in that everybody has the opportunity to believe in Christ and trust in Christ, which and thus regeneration happens after faith. And that's really where the, the big, you know, does it happen before? Does it happen after it really falls into your, your belief on predestination, I would say to most, most extents anyway. And so there would be different views on that, but that's what I love about what the Baptist faith and message says. It says that like Jamie pointed out that, the repentance and faith, an irreparable experience of grace is that if one has faith, they will repent, right? And so that, like you're saying, Daniel, regardless of the timing, regardless of how we view this, we would understand that salvation is a work of God and that it is our believing and trusting in Christ. Right. And I think that's really what we want to tackle in this is addressing yeah. that our salvation is a work of Christ and not a work of ourselves. Um, right. Because even— absolutely. Even faithful brothers that would um, that I may disagree with on their soteriology, they're still believing that God is the complete work of their salvation, that man's not earning it themselves. And so if they believe in free will, they believe in predestination, regardless of the circumstance, they're trusting that Christ is the one saving them. So, And that's what the Baptist faith and message is, as we've said so many times before. It's a big umbrella document that you can— um, you can believe one way or a different way on soteriology and still fall under it and still worship together, still believe together, still cooperate together to fulfill the Great Commission. And that's that's what I love about the Baptist faith and message. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. All right. So we see regeneration. And of course, we looked at that and different aspects of that. And, and regeneration and faith and repentance then results in immediate justification. Uh, and it says in the Baptist faith and message that justification is God's gracious and full acquittal upon principles of his righteousness of all sinners who repent and believe in Christ. Justification brings a believer unto a relationship of peace and favor with God. So we see that one that upon our faith, we are then justified our, our sins that God once held against us, he no longer does because they have been acquitted through Christ uh, and the cross and his resurrection. I do love the language there as it uses that, that term, full acquittal, um, based on the principles of his righteousness. He, he looks at the work of Christ and he ascribes that work to us as a result of our faith. And because of that, we are fully acquitted. We are fully wiped clean in his sight. Man, I, I just, I do, I love that language and, and the picture that it paints uh, as you kind of put yourself in the court system um, because there's lots of court uh, terms here, legal terms here 
just to kind of think through that and, and to picture yourself being uh, the defendant standing guilty before the judge and because of the work of Christ, he stood by our side and paid the price for us so that we could be declared innocent. I just, I, I think it is beautiful. I believe it was um, in Wayne Grudem's systematic or he has a podcast where he teaches through the systematic theology at a church that it may still be at. I don't know. The podcast itself is like 10 years old, but um, and he was addressing it. I believe it was him. If not, I, I'm giving him the credit that somebody else deserves. But he compared it. He talked about how um, justification is this legal terminology, right, Daniel? And really it's this idea of let's say a father has a son and the son is quitted this, this punishment, this time in jail or prison for some act or thing that they did illegally. And it says if the father stepped in and took his place and took his punishment on and his son would his son would be able to walk away free. Well, we don't see that in our court system. We don't have that opportunity. If Daniel's wife was arrested tomorrow, I don't know why Ali would be arrested. Um, if any, if either one of you are arrested, I'm assuming it's going to be you and not her, Daniel. But let's say Ali was arrested tomorrow, and you you go up to the court, you go to the judge, and you talk to the judge and say, "Hey, my my daughter, she she really needs her mother. I want to I want to take my wife's." punishment for her i want to be in prison for her instead of her so that my daughter would have her mother he's not going to allow that to happen i mean because it just doesn't make sense in our mindset and our view of things and the point that wayne gruden was getting at is that, is that this is one of the hardest things for people to understand in the process of salvation is why would it be okay for god to allow his son to take this punishment for mankind when we don't see this anywhere else but this idea of justification has been all throughout Old Testament. That uh, even in the Old Testament, they sacrificed animals in looking forward to the Messiah that was to come. And so we see this idea of justification as Christ stepping in. Um, and I, I love this principle. This is probably one of my. It's one of the most fascinating principles in all of Scripture to me. Mainly, as we've talked about many times before, we don't like the idea of the imputation of sin from Adam. But we sure do love it when we talk about the imputation of Christ's righteousness to us. Mm -hmm. This is what we see in this, is that we didn't deserve this righteousness. We didn't earn this righteousness. And quite frankly, we reject this righteousness even after we come to Christ by sinning even more. And that he would do this. He would step in our place for us. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, and the idea to uh, just to kind of go back to what you were saying there about we, we don't see this in our justice system. We never would. You know, if if I was... A murderer and I was being charged with first degree murder and my dad came and took my place and I was able to go free well now I'm still I'm still the one who pulled the trigger I'm still the one who planned mm -hmm. the crime and so I'm still the one who has the capabilities of doing it so that's why we don't yeah. comprehend it however the difference between the two is that through Jesus's justification of our sins going back to this idea of regeneration our hearts are changed. We become a different person. And so my father can't change my heart, but my heavenly father can. And so that's where we we struggle with it because we're trying to put it in the human terms and we're trying to rationalize it in our finite minds and it's not possible. Well, and so this idea here shows us that that God's ways and, and God's ideas, his concepts are above our own. 
you know, you saying that brings up a perfect opportunity to transition in the next statement because you're talking about the changing of one's heart. And that's what we see in this section, Mark C. This is sanctification is the experience beginning in regeneration by which the believer is set apart to God's purposes and is enabled to progress toward moral and spiritual maturity through the present power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Growth in grace it should continue through a regenerate person's life. Is that sanctification is exactly that. It's the work of God to change the believer's heart. Now, I will admit that, and I think I did this whenever we walked through it as a church back, I don't know, about six months ago, is that really before a couple of years ago, I really didn't think of sanctification beginning uh, with the regeneration. But if you really think of regeneration in the comp, the consistency as we've been talking about tonight is that the regeneration is the changing of one's heart it's where that's where it begins god is beginning the the work of sanctification in the beginning of our salvation but it's where he's continuing to change us not from a he's changed us into a new creation as we see in romans and then he is continuing to do that throughout all of this life and i, I think it's a very beautiful picture of what daniel's getting at there is that god does change our hearts god does change who we are Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it's such a Baptist to respond like that. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't I don't really have much to add to it, man. It's it's well no, it's nail on the head. And something else about sanctification is that it's a process that, that does not end in this life. There is no perfection for the Christian while we are here, while we are living on this earth. It, it's a um this is a lifetime process. And yes, it, it, it begins at regeneration, like you said, and it continues until the day that we die or Christ comes back. This is a process for a lifetime. Well, and I think that's why I would I would add too, just very quickly that we see a perfect picture of this process of sanctification with the Israelites when they're coming out of Egypt. Right. I mean, they come out of Egypt. And, and from that point forward, God is leading them, and He's not going to abandon them from that point that, that He leads them out into the wilderness to wander around for 40 years. But you can very much look at that, that time that they spent there as a parallel to our life of sanctification. Yeah, it no took doubt. them a long time to, to have that concept and that idea of slavery removed from their hearts. Yeah. But yet God still had made a promise to them through Moses, and he never abandoned them, regardless of how hard-hearted and and how stubborn they were at times. And even even the desire that they had to go back into Egypt, to go back into slavery, God was still faithful to continue to deliver them, even when they thought that they wanted something different. Well, and not only that, and this may get us off topic just a tad bit, but you know, and I'm just so amazed at the promise of God to Abraham. Because in the covenant that God makes with Abraham, he tells Abraham that your offspring will be in a land that is not their own and they will be enslaved there for 500 years and that I will bring them out of that. And so 400, yep, yeah, he will bring them <laughs> 400 years and, and that I would bring them out of that and out of their slavery and and that's what's so amazing about, you know, you think about the steadfastness and the, the love of God is that 
in that analogy and that comparing us to the Israelites is that he understood and he knew exactly what they would be like when they got out of Egypt. Mm -hmm. And he does the same thing for us. He knows exactly the mess ups, the screw ups, the the mistakes that we're going to make afterwards and that he would still love us so much that he would call us to himself. It's just an amazing thing to me because, and I've preached this before and um, I use that, the analogy of a wedding because we do see that, uh, in the New Testament, where we were considered the bride of Christ, right? And I asked, I asked the congregation, you know, and I read off these vows, and it's like, you know, uh, until death do us part, I promise to cheat on you and to to reject you and to ignore you and to hurt you and cause you pain. And and I ask them, you know, would you would you take these vows with your spouse? And everybody said no, right? Obviously, um, but. What Christ did in saving his bride was exactly that, that he would take people into the, his fold of salvation that would continue even after coming to know him, would sin against him and reject him and turn away from him at times. And yeah, that's what's so beautiful about this is that God is working and changing our hearts. And it is in a, it's not an overnight process. And I think that we in the church forget that sometimes. We expect somebody that just come to Christ and salvation to act just like they've been in the choir for 25 years, right? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and we we get upset with somebody if they still, you know, maybe use language or do things that they shouldn't do in their life and they had only known Christ for a week. Um, but I think sanctification is such an important thing that we focus on because it is something that happens for a lifelong. And that's why on our other episodes of the month, we're looking at the spiritual disciplines because that is a big way in which God empowers us to be sanctified Uh is by us being disciplined to be in, in his word, to be in prayer, to evangelize, gathering with saints on, on the given times. And so uh, I would just add to that very quickly, just as we continue to kind of transition like further into this, this idea of salvation that, just to reiterate once again, regeneration, work of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, faith, work of the Holy Spirit. Justification, work of the Holy Spirit. Sanctification, work of the Holy Spirit. And then the final one that we're looking at, glorification, obviously a huge work of the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. Whereas on that final day that we that we die and leave this world, um, that He takes us into... The kingdom into the kingdom of heaven and he welcomes us in that's a work of the holy spirit but the statement here um before i start talking about it and not read it yet uh, the statement is simple glorification is the culmination of salvation and is the final bless blessed and abiding state of the redeemed as in that day that we leave this sinful broken world and we enter into the presence of god fully redeemed, fully rescued, fully glorified, fully sanctified. Um, and, and we get to spend all of eternity with our Father in His presence. And the only reason we can be in His presence without any issues is that He has completely glorified our bodies, that there is no more sin, there is no more rebellion against Him. And so we can be in a perfect relationship with Him then. And it's amazing that He's even able to do that. You know what I'm saying? You know, mm-hmm. I think we get so amazed of him saving us that we even forget about how he could take something that is so broken and fallen and to make it perfect one day, to make it holy again. 
Um, but it is, it's a, it's an amazing thing. And this is what we should be longing for, right? This is what we hope for. This is what we look forward to in this life. It's the life to come because what we know is that ultimately, you know, we're called to live for Christ as we're on this earth. But as Paul says, to live is to Christ, but to die is to gain because then you're in perfect relationship with the Father forever and forevermore. That's right. We kind of transition out of this into the plugs of the week. Really, what we see in this is that, as you just, you already said this, and we've already said it multiple times. And I think it's something that we have to emphasize so often, really, because what we see is that Paul does this in almost every one of his letters is that every part of salvation is a work of God. It's God working in regeneration. It's God working in justification. It's God working in sanctification. It's God working in glorification. And it's because we cannot save ourselves. We cannot, we would not, we can't. And so, um, we find great joy in this, but to be just really practical for just one moment, and I think this would be a good conversation, is Daniel, when you read a statement like this, what does that mean to you as a youth pastor? What does that mean to you as one that stands up and proclaims the gospel either to the congregation as a whole or to the, the specific youth class on Wednesday and Sundays? You mean like to read the entire statement of, well, on, on salvation? Well, you- well, I mean, when you read through this, what does this cause in your spirit when you think about doing the work of Christ to the youth in your church? Uh, you know, I think the biggest thing, that kind of the overarching idea here is that, as we just mentioned, every bit of this is a work of God uh, through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, if that's the case, then... All I've got to do is be faithful. Yep. All I've got to do is follow him each day. I don't have to. He doesn't ask me to understand or he doesn't ask me to go and be this revolutionary teacher. He doesn't ask me to come up with these big time ideas that are just going to change the world. He just asks me to, to know him better day by day, trust in him and and obey. Yeah. Uh, and as a result of that, he blesses not only me in my personal life, but those who I minister to as well. Exactly right. It's not we're not saying that we trust in God to do the work so much to the point that we're not faithful with our time and preparation and sermons and teaching moments and things with the such. But what we do is we do have complete confidence that God is the one that is saving souls. And so we don't have to cut the music on at the right little time at the altar call. So people will respond or, you know, stop the second verses just as I can, just as I am and say this nice little ditty about coming to Christ and salvation. Yeah, I know I'm making fun of Southern Baptists over years, but you know, it's work of Christ. So um, I think that we can confidently say that we are faithful in the ministry in which God has placed us in. And that's what we want to encourage the listener to be is if you're a vocational minister or if you're a minister by the calling of the of Christ you into salvation and you minister through your occupation if it be picking up trash if it be a mechanic if it be uh, working in a lumberyard or whatever the case may be that um, faithfully serve Christ with your life and that He will use you to save individuals 
Um, that's what we see as his work of salvation in the life of people around us is that he chooses to use broken instruments to deliver his message so that he can save souls. And all we are is faithful. And we're faithful because he is the one that saved us. We're not faithful because we were trying to earn anything, but we're faithful because he has been faithful to us by saving us. So as we get ready to look at the plugs of the week, um, what do you what do you have for us? Uh, yeah, so um, I think all of our listeners are aware that I'm <clears throat> leading worship at my church now. Uh, I'm, I'm officially considered the fill-in, um, but it's a week-by-week thing, and, and until something changes, I'm – I'm the guy for that job. So I've been really trying to grow in my understanding of worship and that so on and so forth. So I'm reading a book right now. It's kind of one of my books that I'm reading this semester since I'm taking uh, this semester off of school called Worship Matters Hmm. by Bob Coughlin. And I feel like for some reason I have recommended this book before. You have? Uh, Have I? Yeah, two episodes ago. Oh, so it was recent. Oh, well, there you go. Well, it might have been. I think so, because we looked at the spiritual discipline of worship, I think. Yeah, okay, okay. Then, well, at that time, then, I had only read, really kind of... Read it yet, or you only read one chapter, one. I can't yeah, remember. I had really just kind of browsed it lightly. Um, but now I'm really diving into it. And if I could like recommend even more than I did last time, I do. I recommend <laughs> even more than I did last time, <laughs> because it's that good. Like, I have just been... Loving it, just running through it. It is very, very thought-provoking. Um, it is extremely encouraging in the in just in the concepts behind why we do what we do as worshipers, not just worship leaders, but as worshipers in general. Um, and so, it's been just an incredible uh, book that I've only been. I'm only uh, I'm less than halfway through it, but uh, man, I couldn't help but think to to recommend this one. Uh, for my plug this week. So there you go. Jamie, you got anything for us? Yeah. Um, this is going to kind of fit in there, but you know, I never really give a plug that is exactly uh, related to what we were looking at, but something that I think was very important to help me understand these different aspects. When I first became a Christian, a, the youth minister at the church that I was attending uh, at the time in Livingston, Alabama, at Livingston First Baptist, is he uh, he recommended me. He said, "Hey, man, I think you need to pick up this book, and I think it would be very good for you." And it was actually the very first theologically related book I had ever read. Uh, and many people, <laughs> many people, uh, will know the name of the author, and some people love him, some people not so much but is Desiring God by John Piper. Uh, It was a book that I think has been very foundational and has helped me to understand uh, these different aspects of our faith, especially in the sanctification process when we're looking at this. But he, he really covers, you know, multiple aspects of salvation, of the Christian life and of our love and desire for God. And it's been very, very foundational to me, and I would recommend it to anybody, uh, especially new Christians, just because I read it when I was a new Christian, and I uh, realized how important that was at that point in my life. So, yeah, Desiring God by John Piper. Uh, it's, it's like a 30-year-old book, but 
Yeah, that's wonderful. James? I've actually never read it. Are you going to play a song for us as we get off here in just a minute? Um, what I want to recommend is a systematic theology book, and I know that may scare some listeners if you don't know, never read any systematic theology or anything like that. But the idea of systematic theology is simply uh, looking at what the whole scripture says about a specific topic, theology. And the one I want to recommend is by Lewis Burkhoff. Um, it's by oh, G oh, and H. Oh. Publisher. That is Louis Burkhoff. Louis Burkhoff. No, it's pronounced Louis. Yeah, there's an S on it. Yeah, it's pronounced Louis. All right, well, he's a uh, he's a uh, Dutch. All right, well, look up Burkhoff's Burkhoff's <laughs> systematic theology. Um, I got my copy off Amazon for like fifteen bucks. It's paperback, so it's nothing fancy, um, but it's fantastic, especially when looking at salvation. I don't know. He's an older writer, so there might be some. Um, as Jamie said, he's Dutch or something, so there might be some confusion when it comes to different things, but I would encourage you to find that and just use it as a, a prep as you're studying different topics of in Scripture and things of the such. And then also, as we get ready to get off here, I think Daniel's going to play a tune on the guitar for us. <laughs> I got my mic muted so that I can sit over here and play while y'all talk. I'm not talented, man. Well, I can just play chords. I'm just messing around. Go for it. Close this out. All right. Well, since Daniel chickened out, um, <laughs> we hope that this has been a good episode for you, an encouraging episode. As we said in the very beginning, and I think we say this a good bit, especially looking at a in-depth topic is this one. Just go back, read through it yourself. Look at the scripture that they use in these different areas of salvation and really dig into God's word. God's word is our ultimate authority, and that's what we base our lives off of, not what three individuals say in the state of Alabama. So check out the statement, read through it, look at God's word, and um, I think it's going to be a very enlightening thing for you. And this has been an episode of the Everyday Ministry Podcast, and we're in podcasts where everyday ministers get together to discuss ministry. If you're encouraged by what you hear, please go like our Facebook page, share the episodes, and rate the podcast on iTunes. Don't forget that a new episode drops every first and third Mondays. Our prayer is that these episodes are an encouragement to you and that you would be faithful in the ministry that God has placed you in. Willie.
Rosalie to you Setting off on a one-way train To a place where they know my Heading back to my room tonight